You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, good morning again. The Foundation's course It's going to be really, really good. And happy Thanksgiving. If you're just tuning in, I hope that you're going to get a chance to have some a meal together with family or friends either today or tomorrow, or if you're really blessed, both. Um, and just again, I'm really thankful for our Every Nation GTA family. I'm really um, grateful for the church that I have the great privilege of serving. What a great community uh, of people. When I moved back to Canada, or we moved back to Canada 10 years now on Labor Day, Remember, after a couple of years, we realized that people like to go up into cottage country. And uh, we, we went by this one road up in cottage country, and we saw this big lineup. And it was every time we passed by it, there was just this huge lineup. And then I realized what it was. It was Kawartha ice cream. It was Kawartha ice cream. And so we thought, if people are lining up that much, it must be good. So we lined up, and oh, did it not disappoint. And you got to understand... Um, I love ice cream. I mean, it is really kind of that one thing that just, you know, if I'm ever trying to watch my way and you put ice cream before me, any, my desires, my fleshly desires, my, my, they just, um, they take over. And, um, you say, well, why am I starting with that story? Well, it's because we're, uh, in a series where we're talking about not just physical desires for things like, ice cream, but we're talking about the desires of the heart. And uh, they're just as hard to tame. And so we're taking the series uh, off of a famous passage of scripture in Galatians, where uh, the nine gifts are a fruit rather of the Holy Spirit are expressed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. But we're also looking at the other desires, because if you look before that list, which if you've been a Christian for any time, you'll know about that list. If you're new to Christianity, that might be something new. Uh, but last week when we kicked this uh, service, uh, kicked the series off, uh, Richard alluded to a couple of verses before uh, Paul actually gets into the nine gifts of the Spirit. And he really talks about uh, desires as the war within. So I just want to go back to that scripture that we used last week, Galatians 5, 15 and 16 talking about the war within. We, we call this counterculture, this series, but it's not really, we're not talking about the church culture against other culture. We're not talking about, we're talking about the common war of our humanity, the war within that uh, whether you uh, find yourself as a follower of Jesus or not, there's certain things that you want to, you aspire to, and you are going to find the, tr the struggle to fulfill those things because it's part of the human condition. But the Bible gives us uh, a way forward so that we can actually move into the desires that would be good and true and helpful to our lives and the lives of others. And so here's what Galatians 5, 15 and 16 says. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things uh, you want uh, to do. So what we're looking at in this series then is these nine fruit that are great things, all the things I listed. And we're looking at, well, what are some of the things that actually work against that desire? Because in the scripture we looked at, we see this, uh, you know, the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. There's this conflict. And so today we're going to look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love 
And we're looking at the desire that combats that, which is fear. So today's message is called Love Over Fear. So how did our desires get corrupted in the first place? Well, it has to do with um, the biblical or Christian worldview. I'm going to put up a graphic here talking about showing the four, the worldview that the Bible describes in a very um, kind of shortened, condensed way. Here it is. Uh, we, we see creation, fall, redemption, and then uh, recreation, how it relates to our desires. If you think of that first graphic there, creation, our desires were actually uh, perfectly created. There was no conflict in our desires. And then when the uh, fall of man came, when the first uh, Adam and Eve first sinned and, and sin and corruption came into the world, our desires got uh, corrupted as well. And then through Jesus, uh, they have been redeemed. Um, but one day we have the glory of knowing that the war will be over of this war within the desires and will be restored uh, by God. I love what uh, Canadian theologians just had to throw that in. He's also, if you want to throw in another, first degree was from University of Waterloo. Anyway, he's gone on, but um, great theologian. But he says that God doesn't just want to change what we do. He wants to transform us so that he, we actually change what we want to do. Isn't that amazing? So that not just what we do, but our hearts could be changed to actually the desires could be changed so that God changes actually what we want to do. Oh, man, that's that's the goal. And so when we think about this subject of our desires, uh, we can put it into the grid of the four-chapter gospel, and we can see desires were perfect, desires got corrupted, desires got redeemed, and then desires eventually uh, will be fully uh, restored. So when Jesus uh, died on the cross, he paid the price for all our sinful desires and to make a way for us to be born again by the Spirit. Notice that this whole, what we're talking about is the fruit of the Spirit. So it requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to say this, and I have this on the screen. I wanted to get my wording well. What is very clear from Scripture is that there is no renewal of desires without being born again by the Spirit of God. Being a Christian means that we have experienced God's heart surgery. That he's actually come into our hearts, filling us with his love and forgiveness, washing us whiter than snow no matter what we've done. Now, that's good news. I just threw that in. But um, th there is a sense of this isn't a self-help program. This is about what Christ has offered us uh, through his coming to earth, suffering and dying and rising again and sending his, his spirit. So I want us to, just at the opposite, really get that into our mindset as we look at love over uh, fear. This is what he, Jesus said uh, about the Holy Spirit, predicting it in John 7. He said, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he spoke, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not glorified. He hadn't had his death, burial, and resurrection uh, just yet. So that's kind of some groundwork, because I don't want this to be, oh man, I got to try harder, I got to do better. I mean, there are some things, as we looked at last week, that we can put ourselves in to allow God's Spirit to work within our lives. But this isn't 
uh, just human effort. This is something that Christ has provided for us by the Spirit. So I really want to lay a groundwork of that. So looking back, how did we go from, you know, love to fear and how do we reverse that trend? How was love lost in the first place? What does the Bible say that that sense of God's comfort, peace, security? And how did we go to get fear introduced? So I want to go way back to the beginning of the Bible when the very first time when uh, Adam and Eve, our great, 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 great grandparents actually experienced fear for the first time. Here's what happened. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you uh, not to eat? And so after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took the fruit of the tree, after that was the first time that they were actually experienced fear or experienced any shame. Um, why do I say love lost? It's because when Adam and Eve were still in right relationship with God, they were covered by his love and there was no sense of fear, no sense of shame. Can you, can you imagine a world where there's just nothing to be afraid of? Nothing. And there's no time in your life where you have to have a sense of regret. Ah, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, said that. Never having to apologize. Never having a sense of fear. Never having a sense of shame. Sometimes we just got to think back to chapter one and think of the beauty of the original uh, creation. So, unpacking fear. What is fear? Here's a simple definition. Fear is commonly made up of feelings like anxiety, helplessness, and a sense of inevitable doom. Um, but not all fear is bad. So I want to talk about just as we look at the subject of fear, just a minute, I want to look at four different uh, types of fear and show that they're not all bad. So first of all, I just call it good fear. Example, protection. There, We need some fear. I mean, what if we'd never feared a grizzly bear, you know, and we just wanted to go up and pet him like a house cat. Now that would not be wise. So there, there's these things that are built in. They're good fears. They're things that um, we should fear. They're, 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 they're built into us for protection. We should fear cars speeding down the road, you know, when, if we're a pedestrian. There's, there's all kinds of things that are the, the normal fear, good fear that actually protect us. Then there's something I would call normal fear. So it's about, yeah, it'd be normal. I mean, if you're anxious about a job interview or I threw in there or preaching a sermon, it doesn't matter how many times you do this. There's always this little bit of, oh no, you know, I got to I hope I do a good job. I hope, you know, I don't mess up too much. And, um, you know, your first day of school, there's just things that are normal fears. You know, there's unknown things. Uh, you know, that's, that's not really, um, needing Holy Spirit transformation. I think that that those are just part of life that, um, you know, if you were never fearful of those things, you'd probably think like, okay, there's probably something in your emotional makeup that's not quite right, actually. So um, thirdly, and this is what I, I think from a Christian biblical point of view, you kind of 
think about, and you think about sinful fear, it's when fear is expressed as unbelief or distrust in God's nature, character, or promises. It's when we back off of things because we doubt God's goodness. We doubt his protection. We doubt his promises. And so we move in a fear that really works against uh, God's love. And then one more I wanted to throw in here. Uh, I think it's really important. And that is um, traumatic fear. When fear is the result of past trauma, it requires a process of discernment and healing. This is the type of fear where you're not really processing it. You might not be even very aware of it. It kind of goes in deep into you, sometimes even into your very body. I don't, I'm not a psychologist, but I think, I think there's some called a limbic system or something where things can go in and they can just be a part, they can get lodged in us um, from, what do I mean by trauma? Um, you know, really things in our past that were very difficult. You know, maybe you were in a car accident where someone died. Maybe you, um, uh, you know, were mauled by a grizzly bear when you were a child or something. And, you know, something really difficult. Maybe you suffered uh, neglect or abuse. That that All those things can go into you. And then you're reacting in fear, not because you're consciously, you know, not believing that God you know, is provide for your promise. There's something deeper that's going on that probably needs to be just a little bit unpacked. Obviously, God's going to be a part of that solution, um, but fear can be lodged in, and you're not really even aware, aware that you're acting in fear and your behaviors are manifest. There's not a lot of awareness uh, there. So a little bit about fear itself. Um, so let's look, um, skipping ahead here. Looking at other things that I've just kind of observed about fear in my own life over the years, and you can probably relate to this, um, fears tend to multiply. Have you noticed that? It's like you get one, and then two, and then three, and they kind of, uh, have you noticed that? In fact, there's a scripture that actually affirms this. Psalm 94, 19 says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. It actually talks, David was actually being honest about the idea that fears or anxieties can tend to multiply. Once you get one, it's an, and this can go to another one, another one, another one. Um, here's what Charles Spurgeon said uh, about this multiplication of fears. He's a very famous uh, 19th century British uh, preacher. He said this, The worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination. If we had no troubles but real troubles, we would not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. So, I mean, he's acknowledging that probably 90% of what we're fearful about never happens. Um, but that's just some of the difficulty, I would say, about fear and the torment of fear. So let's move forward. We talked a little bit about fear, what it is, just uh, briefly, how it affects us. Now let's uh, move forward and talk about the other side of the coin, the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts to grow in love. Um, so first of all, I want to just uh, do some, have some practical steps. Um, I think having more of God's word in our hearts, especially on the subject of fear, is a very, very practical step. Um, there's verses in the Bible that say, fear not or do not be afraid. Uh, someone has claimed that there's exactly 365 of them. 
uh, in the Bible. And so it's almost like God providing one a day. Um, I'm not sure if there's one for leap year, but, um, but, um, oh, that, you know, you see how my crazy mind works. Um, so there's, there's these, very, so just personal story. When I first, back in university days, I gave my life fully to the Lord. I had a church background, but wasn't really following the Lord. And, and, and I, I realized I was taking stock with my own life and I realized there's a lot of anxiety and fear in my life. And I wrote, and I read this little book about overcoming fear. And at the back of the book, it had 50 Bible verses on fear not. And so, and, and in the book, they encouraged you to say them out loud every day. And so I thought, man, I'm going to do that. And, and, and they were all in the King James version. And some of these are still like coming back to me in King James version. If you know about that older translation, uh, uh, of the, Bible, um, one of the one of the verses was this one: "Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." In fact, that verse was part of the words of Jesus in our words of Jesus segment in our worship. Um, here's another one that was in my in the back of the book: uh, "Fear thou not, for I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee." Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. It's interesting, you know, the these and nows. You know, I said those things so many times. When I think of Isaiah 41, the King James Version still pops into my into my mind. Here's another one. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears have not been perfected in love. This verse tells us that the key is for love to grow and displace fear over time. This is, this is an important point. This verse talks about it hasn't been completed. When we're still f- filled with a lot of fear, it means that the love of God has still got a ways to grow uh, in our heart. And so we don't overcome fear by just, oh, I'm not going to be free, I'm not going to be afraid. We'd rather displace it with the love of God and allow that to drive out uh, the fear in our hearts over time. Here's another practical way to um, grow in love. Uh, just be around God's people. Um, this Thanksgiving, uh, we're having some people over. They're Christians. I think you're all Christians, right? Yeah. So um, there's something about having the people of God around you, even if it's just an afternoon, even if it's, and I'm not advocating not allowing people who don't know Jesus, but there's something about an atmosphere where everybody acknowledges Jesus as their savior. And there's, um, I, I like to think of it as a, an, a little mini environment to the kingdom of God, um, where there's love and safety and security. It's, uh, it's beautiful actually. And God doesn't ask us to come into Christian fellowship for no reason. It's because we need those oases. We need those times where we're just with other people who are also trying to grow in the love of God, who are also trying to become more like Jesus and can, and we can be a blessing to one another. And it can be, even if we're not, it's not like we spend the whole time, like we're not going to spend the whole afternoon today quoting scripture verses back and forth to one another. You know, we're going to eat, we're going to have a good time, but the environment of it is like, these are fellow brothers and sisters. And I believe that we need environments like that to help grow in the love of God, and to dissuade our fears. Uh, thirdly, uh, because it is the 
fruit of the Holy Spirit, I think it's just really important to commune with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to commune with the Holy Spirit? Sometimes it's just meditation or just some prayer that says, Holy Spirit, um, I love you. Come and reveal yourself to me. Holy Spirit, be in and with me. Holy Spirit, uh, fill me again with your presence, with your love. Holy Spirit, is there any words that you have that you want to speak into my heart to encourage me to help me uh, today? Sometimes I'll, I remember last week I was purposely trying to do this and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit just whisper into my heart, I'm with you, Bert. It's like it's such a simple phrase, but it penetrated my heart. And it's like, because I was facing some things that I wasn't, some meetings that I wasn't really enjoying looking forward to. And uh, um, not with the people who I have over here for um, for Thanksgiving. Um, I'm cool with all of them. Um, but there's just, um, we need to experience the Holy Spirit in those in those ways. Sometimes it's just, being silent, actually, and being quiet, and just shutting things down and making space for the Holy Spirit to commune uh, with us. Okay, as we begin to land this plane, let's, um, let's take stock. Where are you at in your life, my life, on this uh, fear-love continuum? Um, the kingdom of God, when Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is near you and he established his kingdom and laid down his life and one of the things he did at the cross is he broke the power of satan and sin and and uh he established his kingdom but not in fullness so one of the ways of um thinking about the kingdom of god and you might have heard this phrase before is already but not yet the kingdom is here god's love is here it's already but it's not yet um that means we are all in the love of God, but not without fear. We're not con completely in the love of God. There's still fear is part of our life experience. But here's what I've seen in my life over the years and can sense it in others. Um, there's something uh, called eschatology, which is just as a word. Sometimes in theology, it means end times things, but it can also mean just the idea of how we view biblical time, how we view where we're at. You know, in that four chapter, uh, gospel, creation, fall, redemption, recreation, um, where you kind of situate your life more predominantly can, can, um, affect the way that you experience God's love over fear. Let me, let me explain this a little bit. If you have an over-realized eschatology, that means you live more in the fourth chapter. You're thinking towards, man, you know, everything's done. Jesus has done it all. It's, it's this kingdom now attitude. What happens then is we become detached. Uh, we become detached from the reality of fears and that any fears really exist in our hearts. So if we live in an over-realized es eschatology, that means like it's okay. Have you ever met people who are so positive you just know they're fake? <laughs> that's an that's kind of a an idea of overrealized uh, eschatology. On the other side of the coin, you can have an underrealized eschatology, 
of no kingdom now. Uh, we become detached from the reality of the love of God that is available to us now. Now, I'm going to talk to you about my wife and I and what we've realized over the years is that Bert is a, has been, but I'm growing, lives in a little bit more over-realized eschatology. Everything's great. It's going to be okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. And Sheila's been maybe a little bit more towards the under-realized eschatology and that there's lots of impending doom at, at all times. So in our marriage, uh, it's caused conflict. But now we're trying and we're getting better, is to see that neither one of us are really in the balanced place that God wants us to be. And so I was that sort of over-positive guy, we can do anything, there's nothing to be afraid of type person who was un overestimating. It was like I was living that, you know, kingdom now. It was, it was like too much of that. And so now, sometimes I've grown, I'll go, I'll say something to my wife. I said, man, I'm really anxious about this and fearful. And she goes, oh, that's really good, Bert. <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're like really getting in touch with your emotions and reality. And then sometimes she'll look, we'll, we'll have a fearful situation or something we need to press through. And she will say something like, just think about it. God's got our back. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, wow, is that my wife saying that? And so both of us are coming into a greater balance where we're neither extreme is the most of our case. And I think that that's a healthy place, uh, a place to be. So taking, taking stock now, I want to pose a couple questions to you. Just think about your own life now. Um, you know, what are some of the inner fears and anxieties that you're facing? And if, if there's none, Maybe you're living too much in that kingdom now world. And if you're always anxious and afraid, maybe you're living too much in the no kingdom now world. Um, I do face fears and anxiety. Um, one of the things that causes me fear and anxiety is conflict and criticism. And as a pastor, you get a lot of it. You know, if there's, if you don't want to have any of that, don't become a politician. Don't become a pastor. There's a few jobs that you just, you know, if you don't anything in the public eye, <laughs> don't become a referee or an umpire or, you know, any of those things because those are going to be uh, there. So, so as I'm, I'm, I'm talking about some of the things that may be anxieties for me, just I want you to reflect. And I would love in small group for you to reflect. And if you can share with one another, maybe some of the things that you're, um, uh, some of those inner fears. And are, also, are you aware what triggers them? You know, what types of things kind of set them off uh, in your heart? Or if you're Mr. or Mrs. Positive, are you even aware? Because it's unreality to have no fears and anxieties. The fall of man brought that. The reason why we had that verse in Genesis is not just for Adam and Eve, but it's to point out the human condition. I am afraid. I am ashamed. We all have a degree of that. Because that is where the world has come. But with that, Jesus is continually redeeming and one day will be fully redeemed for us. Okay, so that's the inside fear. And then finally, I just want to talk about what about the external fears? Um, what are some of the things that if you don't have anything to be afraid of, I'll give you some. 
Um, how about the war in Ukraine and the threat of nuclear warfare? Uh, another surge of COVID this winter. Uh, children entering into public school or high school for the first time and all the social pressures that are on our ch children. Uh, looming personal health issues. Looming mental health issues. Financial pressure. With inflation, how are we going to pay these bills? Um, pressure to succeed in university for you students and the pressure that you may be in and under. There are things out there. So lest I leave, I just say, amen, let's close the sermon. Let me conclude with this, winning the battle of love over fear. Winning it. Because I really believe that ultimate win will come when we see Jesus or he comes again. But the kingdom of God is progressively, God is redeeming us and the world even now. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have to compare the Garden of Eden. What's the Garden of Gethsemane? That's when Jesus sweat blood, sweat blood because of the pressure he was under. Um, whereas Adam and Eve lost the battle of desires in the Garden of Eden, our Jesus won the battle of desires in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was honest about his desires. For those of you who don't know about this passage of scripture, it was just before Jesus uh, went to die on the cross and he was about to take the weight of the sin of the world upon him. Um, he, he said this in uh, Matthew 26. Uh, he said, my father, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was honest about his desire about not wanting to go to the cross. He was honest about it. But then he said, but not my will, your will be done. And he won the battle of desires and entered into the will of God for you and for me. And that's why Paul in the book of Romans in Romans 7, there's this passage where Romans, uh, Paul talks about his own inner battle. And uh, he says, the thing, the good thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. And he goes back and forth with this, uh, uh, you know, explaining the tension of his heart. I want to do good. But then there's this other part in me that doesn't want to do good. And, I, and he explains uh, a little bit of his own struggle. And then he says this, who will rescue me? And then he concludes it with this. And I put it on the screen. Paul's conclusion and the conclusion for me and for you. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus has already won the battle of desires for you and me. So the ultimate battle of desires has been won, not by you and me fighting, but by Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane has won the battle of desires and fulfilled the will of God. He overcame fear and moved in perfect love. And now he offers that to us by faith and by grace. That is So when we enter into the battle, our battle, we know that the ultimate battle has already been won by him. And then he freely gives it to us by grace. And that is good news. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this series. And as we look at all the wonderful things that your spirit brings to our lives, God, in a, sometimes opening up things like fear and anxiety, it's, it's not easy. But we thank you that you've already won the battle of desires 
for us, and now you invite us to grow. You invite us to honesty. You invite us, God, to admit our fears, but also lay hold fully of the love of God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your victory on the cross for us. Once again, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.